verses 1 to 3, and then we move to Revelation, verses 14 to 22. <clears throat> now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then John, John writing to the church in Laodicea. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But do you not realise that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked? I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father, may your uh, word dwell in us and uh, bear much fruit to your glory. Amen. It's good to be. It's good to be back today. We we begin our eight-part series uh, in the Beatitudes of uh, Matthew five one through twelve, where each week we're going to consider a single beatitude, as well as an additional text that will sort of help us flesh it out a little bit. We've aligned our growth groups, actually, to be studying these two, and so those will be a chance for you to go deeper and go further with one another, but that will be meditating on these throughout the week in small groups and then uh, considering them again here on Sundays. They're going to allow us to sort of consolidate uh, what it is that we're learning and grow together, actually. Uh, as you uh, will know... Uh, the Beatitudes headline, the so-called Sermon on the Mount. Heard of that one before? Uh, and um, the, 
Sermon on the Mount goes in Matthew 5, begins in Matthew 5, uh, heads through Matthew 6, and then ends in, at the end of chapter uh, 7. And that he is on a mountain is actually very significant. Okay? Because, of course, in the Old Testament, mountains was where God spoke. Right? And uh, the most obvious connection I make here is that of Moses and Mount Sinai when God gave his people the law. And the point is that as Jesus ascends this mountain, he is quite deliberately, quite deliberately depicting himself as the new Moses. And so in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, he is teaching the new law as the new Moses for the new people of God. Because, of course, the context for the entire sermon, the context for the Beatitudes... Uh, comes in uh, Jesus' earlier announcement in chapter 4, verse 17. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, uh, long promised in the Old Testament, was now here. And he himself had come to uh, inaugurate it. And so the Sermon on the Mount is related somehow to this general message about the kingdom. And actually, this theme of the kingdom brackets the Beatitudes themselves. So if you have your Bible open there, you'll notice that the very first Beatitude, as well as the very last Beatitude, ends with, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I said brackets the Beatitudes there. Who are the members of this kingdom? What are they like? How can they be recognized? Well, the Beatitudes actually paint a picture of the distinguishing marks of the sons and daughters of the king, members of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, you'll have heard many of these uh, Beatitudes uh, before, perhaps even in pop culture contexts. And yet, it's important to remember, they're not just uh, cute, memorable phrases, okay? I like to say they're not platitudes, they're Beatitudes. Now, what are Beatitudes? Well, actually, the, the, the name uh, simply comes from the Latin word for blessedness. But there's simply a series of, of blessings declared uh, by Jesus upon those who embody these, uh, these qualities. And as we're going to discover, they're just so very simple. And yet, they are so very uh, profound. And while each one may be understood on its own, uh, they're strung together like a necklace. And together, they describe what is involved in becoming and maturing and flourishing as a follower of Jesus in this world. They characterize, or should characterize, each and every one of us Christians. We might remember them as beautiful attitudes. And that sounds nice, doesn't it? But be warned... They're going to rock your world. They're going to rock your world. But they're going to upend so many of our natural assumptions and expectations. Actually, it would be just be a very interesting exercise to check yourself as you read through this list of Beatitudes and ask, when do I stop nodding in approval and begin to squirm? Is it at the very first one? 
where Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit? Is it somewhere around the middle where Jesus says, blessed are the meek? Or is it the very final hurdle where Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted? His kingdom is unlike the one we've become so accustomed to, isn't it? In the Beatitudes, Jesus has inverted who it is that the world thinks is blessed. And he's going to bless people no one else will. Picture them as a sort of rich vein of, of black gold. You've heard of black gold before? This poverty, mourning, meekness, hunger and thirst, mercy, persecution. From our human perspective, they all appear worthless, don't they? But as it turns out, each person who embodies these qualities has struck divine gold, for they are called blessed. Now, it's important that we understand uh, what it is that that means and what it is that it doesn't mean. And so it doesn't mean happy, okay? Some translations have gone with happy, but that's not, that's not really the sense that we have here. Happiness is a feeling, right? It's often a fleeting feeling that we have. Whereas what is promised here is actually more of a lifelong joy. Blessedness reveals this, the, the, the smile of God, or as one author so beautifully puts it, the applause of heaven. It conveys divine favour. But to be blessed isn't just about divine favour, is it? It's actually about human flourishing. You see, all these wonderful promises that Jesus makes in the Beatitudes have both a present and a future fulfilment. That is, we can enjoy the first fruits of them now, and yet the full harvest is, is yet to come. Which brings us, finally, <laughs> to our very first Beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let me ask you a question. What is your most pressing problem at the moment? It's a rhetorical question. I'm not looking for answers. What is your most pressing problem at the moment? Now, as your pastor, let me answer this for you. <laughs> Your most pressing problem is not your rising mortgage rates. It is not your poor health or the fact that you are aging. It is not even your estranged family. Your most pressing problem is that you are spiritually bankrupt before God. That's your most pressing problem. See, in the Bible, to be poor did actually mean to be in literal material need, but gradually it came to sort of have spiritual overtones and was identified with sort of humble dependence upon God. So listen to David in Psalm 34. He writes, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, their faces never covered with shame. This poor man called, and the Lord heard him, and he saved him out of all his troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Or actually, better translated, poor in spirit. So here, 
The Beatitudes, Jesus is saying, you know what? Blessed. Blessed are those who acknowledge their spiritual poverty before God. And to be poor in spirit is to acknowledge, isn't it, that like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. Now, being poor or needy is, is, is this not something that sits very well with us? <laughs> and yet, it is the necessary condition of entering the kingdom of heaven. Jesus pictures this poverty of spirit uh, in his uh, parable of the, the Pharisee and the tax collector. Do you remember this one? A Pharisee and, and, a, and a tax collector, they go up to the temple to, to pray. And the Pharisee stood by himself and he said, Thank you, God. Thank you that I am not like other people. Robbers and evildoers and adulterers. Even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, give a tenth of all I get. And meanwhile, the tax collector, standing at a distance, his face in his hands, says, God have mercy on me, a sinner. And then Jesus asks, who went home justified before God? This is the language of those who are poor in spirit. God have mercy on me, a sinner. And so Jesus says elsewhere, he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And what is this good news? Here it is. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. This is the good news to us poor sinners. The infinitely rich one was willing to become unbelievably poor so that we might be rescued from our bankruptcy and actually become rich. The Beatitudes um, are not some sort of progressive ladder that we climb toward God, okay? That's That's sometimes how they're portrayed. They're not some sort of progressive ladder to be climbed toward God. But there is something about their order that shows us how we become and how we mature and how we flourish as as Christians. And this is the very first beatitude because it pictures our posture before God. Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see, salvation, and you know this, it is a gift as entirely free as it is utterly undeserved. And so it must be received by those humble enough to accept it. So we begin here in acknowledging our spiritual bankruptcy before God. Now there was another text read to us um, from Revelation. In Revelation 2 and 3, Jesus himself addresses seven churches, each one according to uh, its needs with encouragement and rebuke and exhortation and promises, etc. These churches actually uh, stand for all the churches of of that time and ours. They're kind of a sort of miniature catalogue 
uh, of all the things that we can expect to find uh, in other churches throughout history. And I believe that the temptations that the church in Laodicea faced are the very same temptations uh, that we face here and now in Australia. See, the church in Laodicea was rather self-assured. They were self-assured. And so Jesus says to them, you say, I am rich. (laughs) I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realise you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. They'd taken a look around themselves, around their city, around their houses, and thought, we want for nothing. And so actually their, their blessings, their financial blessings, their wealth became a curse rather than a blessing. Because their physical circumstances blinded them to their spiritual condition. They were superficial, smug, and self-assured. They were the antithesis of all that it means to be poor in spirit. And does that ring a bell when we think of Australia? And yet Jesus says to the church in Laodicea, he says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone, has, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Now that verse has often been used as an evangelistic tool, right? To invite unbelievers into the kingdom. And yet first and foremost... It is a promise directed to complacent Christians. To complacent Christians who needed to confess. Needed to confess their dependence on God. And so restore their fellowship with him. Friends, it is still the case today that the necessary condition of entering the kingdom of heaven is to acknowledge our spiritual poverty. Have you done that? Do you do that? My prayer is that we become in real life the portrait that Jesus sketches here in the Beatitudes. And so each week I'm gonna I'm gonna consider how it is that we can apply this particular Beatitude as a church family. And then also I'm gonna consider how it is that we can apply this particular Beatitude in our own families, in our immediate families. So, what might it look like to be a church family who are characterised by this poverty of spirit? What's that going to look like? First, it is to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, it is in humility, valuing others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Now, that is easier said than done. But it is to have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who took on the very nature of a servant. And so we too are to serve. Indiscriminately. Indiscriminately. 
which means there is nothing beneath you. Okay? There is nothing beneath you. It also means that there is no one beneath you. Because you have come to believe that actually you yourself are at, at the very bottom. <laughs> There's no room for anyone beneath you. Second, it'll mean not acting like we have it all together. When in fact, we don't. Right? When we come to church on Sundays, we don't need to put on our Sunday best selves. Okay, We can put on our Sunday best dress. But not our Sunday best selves. We're not to perpetuate this belief that church is for good people. No, we commit ourselves to being honest about ourselves, which will mean that we're going to be extending grace toward others. More on that later in the series. But what about in our homes? What might it look like to be a husband or wife or dad or mum or grandparent or sibling or child who's characterised by this poverty of spirit? Well, it has to mean this. It has to mean not ignoring or covering up your own sin, but instead confessing to one another more often. Now, I'm sorry are the two words that are the most difficult words to say to your spouse, let alone to our kids. Be poor in spirit is to be vulnerable enough to acknowledge our sin before others too. One of the more memorable moments of my childhood was when my dad caught me stealing money from his bedside drawer. I see some parents looking at one another thinking that that's perhaps what's happened to their declining cash reserves. But after gently disciplining me, he then discipled me he then discipled me as he sat down and he shared that his dad had caught him doing the exact same thing see if we believe that the good news sorry the gospel is good news if we believe that we must share why it is good news for us why is it good news if we want our kids to come to believe that it's good news for them too. Church kids are not good kids. They need the gospel too. Kids who only hear the good news a little tend to become kids who only love and trust Jesus a little. As parents, we're called to be witnesses to God's love for us in Christ, not Judges who constantly criticise and condemn. See the difference? We're witnesses, not judges. Well, I want to close our first talk in this series by, by taking the Beatitudes as a whole for, for just a moment. They promise the world, don't they? Actually, they promise a glorious future, renewing of the world through the death and resurrection of Jesus. But friends, God is not the only one making promises, is he? 
One author has helpfully posed these beatitudes in the negative to depict the world's own version of them. He, he calls them the, the unbeatitudes. You ready for these? Congratulations to the entitled, for they grab what they want. Congratulations to the carefree, for they shall be comfortable. Congratulations to the pushy, for they shall win. Congratulations to the greedy, for they shall climb the food chain. Congratulations to the vengeful, for they shall be feared. Congratulations to those who don't get caught, for they shall look good. Congratulations to the argumentative, for they shall get in the last word. And congratulations to the popular, for this world lies at their feet. The world has its own version of events, with its own promises of reward. We must choose. We must choose. But be honest. Have you ever met one person who's lived, believed and lived by this world's unbeatitudes and came to the end being pleased and satisfied with themselves? Just one. And the Beatitudes cast a vision of life that includes an implicit invitation. Jesus is offering and inviting you, you, into a way of being in the world that's going to result in your flourishing. In your flourishing now and in the ages to come. So what do you say? Do you want to be congratulated? Or do you want to be blessed? Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this word uh, to us in the Beatitudes. We pray that we might be conscious of how it is that you have spoken to us today and then mindful of the ways in which we are to put these things into practice this coming week. In Jesus' name, amen.